It's time for Success Profiles Radio with your host, Brian K. Wright. Have you ever wondered if there's more to life than you're currently living? Then Success Profiles Radio is the program for you. Every week, we'll explore different aspects of success and how to apply them to your life. Guests will come from many different backgrounds, including expertise in leadership, business, relationships, careers, networking, health, overcoming adversity, and much more. Every show is a dose of inspiration. This is Success Profiles Radio. And now, here's your host, Brian K. Wright. Hello and welcome to Success Profiles Radio. I'm your host, Brian K. Wright, and it's a pleasure to be with you today. I'm honored that you chose to spend part of your day with me here, and this is going to be a fantastic show. I'll be introducing my guest in a minute, and this is going to be fantastic. I just want to take a minute or two to share some things I've been learning and thinking about lately, and I usually do this every single week. A couple years ago, I was interviewed on a friend's live show out of Boston, and he asked me a really interesting question during the interview. He asked me to give three tips to entrepreneurs to help them be more successful. So here's what I said. Number one, you need to surround yourself with people who are moving in the same direction that you want to go. If your goal is to run a successful business, then listen to podcasts about that, read books, and go to seminars where they're likely to, where you're likely to meet those type of people. Second, have a strong why. When things get tough, you can't quit at the first sign of trouble. If you don't have a strong, compelling reason to continue, you will quit sooner than later. That's not how winning is done. And finally, don't ever give up. If you have the right people around you and you have your strong why, you are less likely to give up. The most successful people I know kept going in the face of very difficult circumstances. If you do these three things, your chances of reaching your goals will be a lot higher. Keep going. You will be so glad you did. And if you have not downloaded and subscribed to Success Profiles Radio on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, please do that. Look for Success Profiles Radio. Please subscribe. Please leave a five-star review. That would be really amazing, and I would love you forever for it. So thank you for that in advance. My guest this week is M. Von Nicosi. Let me tell you about him. He's an accomplished architect and seasoned advisor renowned for shaping special projects with a lasting sustainability legacy. Uh, he incorporates a holistic design approach, and he prioritizes sustainability, seamlessly blending structures and spaces with their environment for a healthier, ecologically balanced future. So we will be talking about urban planning, community development, and all of those types of things. And I don't think we've done this topic before. So this will be fun and interesting. So here we are with my very special guest, M. Von Nicosi. How, how are you today? I'm good, Brian. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you so much for being here. Cool. And the first question I normally ask is, did you envision early on that you would be where you are right now? Uh, how early do you want to talk about? <laughs> as far back as you want to go. Sure. Did you envision um, anything? Did you envision anything like this when you were growing up? Uh, yeah, yeah, I did. Um, only because my father's—I'm an architect. Um, I, I'm a licensed practicing architect, and so is my father. Mm -hmm. um, he is. He, so the, the expression is: you may never heard this that architects we don't retire, we just die. Hmm. And uh, my father's 81 and still practicing. Wow. And um, yeah, and I'm, yeah, I'm behind him. So you know, saw so, saw him growing up. Uh, doing design work when we uh, lived in New York, grew up in New York, and he would always say that he tried to talk me out of it. And when people say, "Well, how did you, how did you get mm -hmm. your son to go into architecture?" Yeah, and he wanted to tell them, "Well, you know, architects don't really make any money." So I tried to talk him out of it, but he he really didn't. Yeah, <laughs> so. I had never heard of architecture until I saw the Brady Bunch because that's what Mike Brady did. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's funny. One of one of my classmates in undergrad said that's why she majored in architecture. 
because wow. she saw it on the Brady Bunch. Absolutely. Do you, do you and your dad do ever ever do projects together? Oh yeah, yeah. We're working on projects now. Yeah, that's so. Uh, he's, again, he's supposed to be going back to his first love of art mm-hmm. and um, painting, which he is still doing. But he's still getting calls and still getting projects. So, yeah. Fantastic. I I love that. So, what did your path look like prior to what you're doing right now? So it was more traditional um, architecture. I went to undergrad uh, five years at Hampton University in Virginia, got my BARC, then came to work with my father for a couple of years uh, in the mid late 80s. And then I had this passion to do more than building design. I always mm-hmm. had a passion for bigger projects. So I was looking at urban planning, urban design, and decided to go to the Illinois Institute of Technology, IIT, which they call Illinois Tech now, in Chicago. And uh, did that for two, two and a half years and started that process and then came back to Atlanta and started working on a doctorate as well as projects, getting married, starting my doctorate and starting my company all at age 28. Mm. And um, it was a challenge, as you might imagine. Yeah, no, I can certainly understand and appreciate that. What would you say? in your journey has been your rock bottom or defining moment? Well, I would say hanging out my shingle um, as a 28-year-old entrepreneur. um, I did have the good guidance of my father who, you know, he felt some kind of way, like, so you're leaving the firm, Mm -hmm. right? You're starting your own thing. But I think after he, he realized the potential benefit of collaboration versus me being an employee. Uh, he came around to it and it's worked for both of us since. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Fantastic. What do you think are the best actions that you wish you ha- would have taken in your career? Wow. Um, so I would say the best actions would have been understanding that clients come and go. Mm. Most of my clients have been word of mouth uh, Mm. over the years, and I was 28, so my clients were, at that time, 48, 50, Mm -hmm. right? And I wasn't thinking, I wasn't saying, oh, this, you know, we'll just ride this out, then it'll go forever. I mean, I was, you know, more conscious than that. Right. But But start to realize that, you know, where I am now in my career, some 30 plus years later, Mm -hmm. those handful of clients are or have already aged out mm-hmm. right? and then there's a new generation coming behind so mm-hmm. one of the things i always tried to do was cultivate the next generation that's just mm-hmm. part of my passion yeah uh, so people could move faster than i moved mm-hmm. um so i work with young people young entrepreneurs from 20 years old i'm like why wait eight years to where it took me to get started let's get you started sooner mm-hmm. but also having younger people behind me to then be my new clients. Yeah, yeah. So I I didn't think through that earlier on both ends. It was more me mentoring the next generation and less about, okay, they could be my future clients. Right, right. So you said that you get your clients by word of mouth. How else do you get clients in this industry? Uh, Website and not so much social media. It is really... Word of mouth, reputation, you know, I've got contracts. Now, that's on the architectural side, so I do a lot of different things. I've worked with foundations in philanthropy, 
I work with nonprofit organizations in capacity building and in technology. I've built my own, designed and built my own smartphone platforms. I've got investors. Mm. I've got contracts uh, and licenses with NASA. So over a 30-year career, yeah, I do quite a few things besides architecture. Yeah, we'll talk about those NASA licenses later because that's a fascinating topic. Sure. What do you think? Yeah, what do you think it takes to be a great architect? <laughs> um, patrons. <laughs> uh, it's it you know still it's still an old profession, right? There are only about one hundred and fifteen thousand licensed architects in the United States. Oh. Um, yeah, it's a very small group, and you know me as an African American architect, there are only like 2,300 of us oh. in the United States. So it's a very small group of people. So patrons is good. You know, of course, talent and skill, uh, which is, mm, I would say, is less of an issue production with computers and technology and CAD. You don't have to, you know, have skills with ink, ink and uh, lead weights and all of those things that were more of the artsy side of the profession. So to be able to be a good listener, uh, we basically solve problems. And that's mm -hmm. when we, we talk a little later about my other uh, activities, because people ask me, well, you're an architect. How come you're working in environment in these other spaces? Mm -hmm. We're problem solvers, right? Mm -hmm. So you have to be able to listen to clients and take the vision out of their heads and make it into reality, put it down on paper, whether that's writing a document or drawing, mm -hmm. and then going on and uh, designing buildings. Yeah. Uh, that's fantastic. So what do you think is the most expensive mistake you've ever made? It could be financial, doesn't have to be. Mm -hmm. It could be something you held on to for too long or something you didn't do soon enough. Um, so people have said I've had, I have the clients have said, I have the ability to see around corners. Mm -hmm and basically see the future, live in the future. Um, and I think sometimes that could also get in the way mm. um, and not being in the present. And mm. I've experienced at least two shocks to the system, uh, not being present. Uh, so I would say that's the biggest issue. I, you know, I could, I'm not sure if I wanna get into the details of those, <laughs> but sure. uh, yes, they have been life altering. Um, in yeah. some cases, and but you know, keep moving. You know, I like what uh, you said in the beginning as an entrepreneur that you um, you don't give up. You keep pushing forward and look mm -hmm. towards look towards the horizon. So, mm -hmm. yeah. If you were starting over right now, what would you do differently? If I had the ability, I would have created more of a more of a war chest of resources. Um, both financial as well as um, cultivated more relationships as for mentors and not formally, but just ask people like, you know, there's a, there's a philosophy about mentors um, mm -hmm. and asking somebody for advice, not to say, oh, can you be my mentor? Because right. sometimes it's like, I'm super busy. I don't want to do that. But can I have lunch with you? Can I sit down and just have a conversation? And mm -hmm. I don't know if young people have gotten that lately, but I get a lot of that now for young people in their 20s. Mm -hmm. uh, they just want to have a sit down and a conversation. We talk for hours. Absolutely. We've got less than a minute to our first break. What do you think is the highest value skill anyone can develop? Listening uh, is huge. Um, listen and <laughs> I say don't give or take unsolicited advice. Mm. That's, that's core for me. I don't give it. 
I and I don't take it. I it was an expensive lesson that I learned um, uh, with a colleague, a friend, a yeah. classmate some 25, 30 years ago. And mm -hmm. yeah, I, I carry that with me. Yeah, I can certainly understand that. All right, we are coming against our very first break. My very special guest is Envon McCosey. We're going to talk about urban development, community development, urban planning, and all those types of things. And this is going to be really fascinating. If you want to learn more about this topic, please stick around. This is Success Profiles Radio. We will be right back after the break. is to motivate and inspire others to discover their unique talents and follow their dreams in life. This is Success Profiles Radio. It's merging I had a weird weekend relaxing and reading through mental floss when I came across these rip-roaring R-words. I recognized a few of them, such as the old 18th century Scottish word ramfeasled, which means fatigued or exhausted. A couple more great R words are ruckatly tuckatly, meaning crumpled or gathered up and ruched. Ruched is commonly used today to describe a flattering blouse or top. Rabbity is a 16th century word for an innocent fool. Well, Raffle Coppin is a rash, impetuous person. Or maybe just somebody that gets carried away with our words. It's Marching Day I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Have you ever thought about writing a book? Surveys show that 81% of people wish they could, but many never do. If you're one of those people, I can tell you why. You don't think you have time, you may not know how, or you might not believe you are a good enough writer. When you're working with an experienced coach, these reasons go away because I will help you every step of the way. If you want to know more about how to write a nonfiction book, whether it's business, self-help, or how-to, reach out to me at www.brienkwright.com for more information. Once again, that's brienkwright.com. Welcome back to Success Profiles Radio. So many people live their lives wanting more than they currently have. And this show will clearly demonstrate the principles, if I can do it, you can do it. So let's get back to the show. This is Success Profiles Radio. And here again is your host, Brian K. Wright. And we're back. This is Success Profiles Radio. If you have not picked up my latest book, it's called The Greatest Lessons I Learned from Being an Entrepreneur, Volume 3. So there are three volumes on Amazon. I would be honored and happy if you would pick any of those up before Christmas, and they'd be great gifts as well. So let's talk about urban design and community development. Vaughn. Let's talk about that. As someone who knows almost nothing about this space, that would be me, uh, tell us what that is and how you go about actually doing it. Sure. Uh, thanks, Brian. I would yeah. say for the urban design, urban planning, uh, I'll just tell you, tell you a story, a short sure. story. Yeah. Uh, when I was in grad school in Chicago, I was dating a young woman from South America and uh, we were walking down Michigan Avenue and she was getting upset with me. <laughs> and because in her mind, I was not paying her any attention. And she said, well, 
it could be worse. You could be looking at other women. You're looking at buildings. <laughs> and that's how I walk through cities is I see how they're built, how they're put together, the width of sidewalks, the width of roads, um, avenues versus streets, the scale of a space. Does it make me feel comfortable uh, with human scale? Right. Uh, one of the early books that we read in undergrad made a comment and it stuck with me. If cities are designed for children and seniors, mm -hmm. it will be comfortable for everybody. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's that's cool. I mean, that's actually. Yeah. That 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 makes a lot of sense, actually. Yeah, because it if it makes sense to them, it'll make sense to everybody. Sure. Exactly. That's and you, you can navigate it. So growing up in New York, you know, one of my. Uh, influential books. I read it in undergrad was, and I recommend anybody who wants to know about this is The Death and Life of Great American Cities by Jane Jacobs. Mm. Uh, it was published in 1961. Mm. And it just describes beautifully uh, the idea of how cities work. Mm. And as growing as a kid growing up in New York, when I read it as a you know college student, I was like, wow, this is exactly how I grew up. You know, mm -hmm. um, we I was talking to a colleague last night and uh, she's in her mid 50s. And she said, you remember, when we were kids, we only had one rule. Be home before the streetlights come on. Yeah, that was it. We were yeah. free range. <laughs> we were free range kids. Right. There yep. were no play. There were no play dates getting driven to meet, you know, driven everywhere. So we learned to navigate the city. Right. We ended up having natural interactions with adults other than our parents and our teachers. Yeah. And maybe, you know, sports coaches and others. So that's part of what Jane Jacob talks about um, in her book. And it was just so natural. So that's part of, you know, walking cities, living cities, being a kid in cities uh, contributed to how I do what I do. Wonderful. So I know that you learned a lot from your dad and you went to school for this. Did you have any internships or how did you learn to get really good at this? Well, stick to is huge. So mm -hmm. 75 of us started my freshman year. Six of us finished five years later. Oh, wow. Yeah. So the attrition rate was high and every year was so it was a five year program. So it was a professional degree and every year the class got cut in half. So do sure. the math, right? It went from 75 to about 42, then down to 22, then down to 12. <laughs> and in fifth yeah. year, six of us finished. Wow. And you, so one of the things that we learned in that process was no person is an island. Mm -hmm. You have to work together and collaborate. Uh, there was a time that some of us had to finish statics in structures, uh, which is engineering, basically designing beams and stuff. We had one guy in class. He knew that stuff cold. Mm. Other people knew, like I was the designer and other people had these different skills. So when it came down to the 12 of us in fifth year and then six of us finished, it was like the only way we're going to get out of here is if we work together. Yeah. And wow. one of the things our professors wanted us to understand was that because architects, even with the fountainhead, it's enough, it's a great movie. Uh, and I love when people watch it. I watch it every now and then for inspiration is no person is an island and architecture is a team sport or process body of work. We work with engineers. We work with of, of all types. We work with 
interior designers, we work with manufacturers, and we have to be able to put all the pieces together and collaborate. So that's a huge part of it. Absolutely. So do the types of projects you get differ based on the size of the community that you're working with, small towns versus large cities? Yeah, so on the community development side of things, my first project, and which was the uh, Martin Luther King Historic District in Atlanta, oh. uh, was a collaboration with the Historic District Development Corporation. And back then it was Nations Bank, which is now Bank of America. Mm-hmm. And it was a small neighborhood. I want to say 12, 12 acres. It's been a minute. And we did the redevelopment. So I, I found a young licensed uh, landscape architect. And again, collaboration. I'm, a, I'm an architect, so he's doing landscape design. I'm doing streetscape visualization and budgeting, and we put that plan together. So that was small. Uh, I've done work when I went to New Orleans, a little different shift post-Katrina. Mm-hmm. My, my, my strategy or my mandate was to incorporate equitable principles back into the recovery. Mm. Of, of the city. So I served as a senior advisor, special projects. Then for a brief time, I was the housing director. Mm. Um, and that work spun off into other work with foundations and philanthropy about helping to bring back and build up capacity of organizations on the ground. Yeah. So it, re- it just really varies. So equitable principles, does that mean establishing housing communities efficient spaces, what does that mean exactly? So equity in terms of uh, uh, fairness. Ah, okay. I know when people think about equity, it's like, well, okay, I have equity in my house. No, different type of equity, right? No, so this is about how does the city recover so it benefits, kind of goes back to the children and and seniors, right? How does a city that gets basically destroyed uh, when it's rebuilt is equitable and fair for everybody? Uh, So there were 10 principles, the team that hired me, the group that hired me was Policy Link out of Oakland, California. And we had gone back and forth. They were a, a client or a consultant of mine years earlier, and they hired me to do that work. And they said, Vaughn, we've been in New Orleans for since Katrina. We need somebody on the ground. Be great if you can go. You understand the South. You've been there because they were in California. Mm-hmm. And they said, we have these 10 equitable principles that we want to embed back into the recovery of housing first. Obviously, mm-hmm. people need to get back into their homes, but all aspects of the recovery. Awesome. So you are based in Atlanta, right? Yes. I'm in Did you have any projects before the Olympic Games that were specially designed for that event? No, no. So, the, you know, the King, the Martin Luther King Historic District Center at Kane, that was 1992. Like I said, okay. it was like my first project. And then the Olympics came in 96 and I was right. hired uh, in 94 mm-hmm. to take a look at nobody was doing this is going to surprise people. Maybe it won't. Nobody was looking after the, the Olympics were announced. Nobody was looking at all the projects that were going to be developed or need to be developed other than the Olympic venues themselves. Yeah. So three groups hired us, the group that uh, the Atlanta Neighborhood Development Partnership, CODA, which was the Corporation for Olympic Development in Atlanta, and the Housing Department at the city. The three of them put up dollars for us, uh, which was, it was funny back then, it was like only $30,000, um, to map all of the projects that were going to happen inside the Olympic ring. And did did that. Uh, it was like 250 projects because there were 14 neighborhoods surrounding downtown 
Atlanta, and all of them had community development corporations all doing projects. Then we had to look at uh, DOE projects. We looked at city of Atlanta projects, just a whole private projects and have, and I still have it, believe it or not, this giant map downstairs mounted on phone core, eight feet by eight feet, cut in half so I could transport it around with all of these projects on it. And it did save some, some time for the city. People saw projects that they didn't even know were on the books. Yeah, mm. so anyway, but that's it before the Olympics. Yeah, wow. took a lot of time. Took a lot sure. Of time. So tell us about the most influential mentor you learned from. Wow, so other than my dad, yep. uh, who I'm still learning from, Yes, he's, he's, he's my best friend, is um, the women, my clients. You know, I tell people, people who know me will say it, I say it all the time, I am where I am and I'm successful because of black women. Um, a handful, I would say, I could count on one hand, five black women, my, all, all of my projects, except those ones I collaborated, collaborated with my father on, and one by a, a, a cool guy who was out of New York but moved down to Atlanta, an Italian guy who I did a lot of urban safety work in the 90s, crime prevention through environmental design. Most of that was, you know, projects that he gave me. Uh, but the most of the projects that I have have been you know, black women who run organizations, who are in philanthropy and the like. Um, mm. So, yeah, it's huge. And I, I learned from them. Wow. Uh, pa patience. Mm -hmm. um, the woman who ran CODA at the time is my unofficial godmother, uh, Clara mm. Adson. And we were at odds before the Olympics, before I got hired for that project I mentioned. But I, after I was checked out by one of the other people, they said, you know, I checked you out and I was told by Clara that you and her are at odds right now. Mm. And I was like, uh-oh, I'm not going to get this project. I was thinking mm. in my head. But she said, but you can do the work. Yeah. So we're going to hire you. And that taught me a valuable lesson because I got into a, conflict defending my client one of my clients that coda was trying to change in their neighborhood and she's an attorney so i think she understood as an architect my job is similar i'm there to be an advocate for my client right? mm -hmm. and that taught me a lesson about you know not revenge or you know being petty or anything like that it's about mm -hmm. people who can do the work yeah awesome we are coming up against our next break, and we're talking sure. with Emvon Kokogosi, and we are talking about community planning, uh, urban planning, community development. And, and this is really amazing, amazing, uh, because this is not something that we've talked about on this show before. So I love having this extra perspective on things. We'll talk about what placemaking is after the break. We'll talk about how interactive urban design is, how he has to collaborate with the communities that want something built and they come together to make a vision for it and we'll talk about helping people's dreams come true and we'll talk about sustainability and innovation we'll talk about all these things when we come back this is success profiles radio please stay with us don't go away we will be right back is to motivate and inspire others to discover their unique talents and follow their dreams in life. This is Success Profiles Radio. Have you ever thought about writing a book? 
Surveys show that 81% of people wish they could, but many never do. If you're one of those people, I can tell you why. You don't think you have time, you may not know how, or you might not believe you are a good enough writer. When you're working with an experienced coach, these reasons go away because I will help you every step of the way. If you want to know more about how to write a nonfiction book, whether it's business, self-help, or how-to, reach out to me at www.briankwright.com for more information. Once again, that's briankwright.com. If you are in business, what is the number one thing that stops revenue growth? Not having enough leads. Data is the new gold rush. With phone sites, that is never an issue. You can generate as many leads as you want without paying a lead broker. With phone sites, you can build a website or sales funnel from your mobile device in five minutes or less without any technical skills or without downloading an app. It's easy and you have nothing to lose. Try it for free for 14 days at phonesites.com forward slash Brian. Once again, that's phonesites.com forward slash Brian. Welcome back to Success Profiles Radio. So many people live their lives wanting more than they currently have. And this show will clearly demonstrate the principles, if I can do it, you can do it. So let's get back to the show. This is Success Profiles Radio. And here again is your host, Brian K. Wright. And we're back. This is Success Profiles Radio. If you have not checked out Ultimate Achievers Magazine, please do that. You can go to ultimateachieversmagazine.com. To check it out, pick your subscription, and I would be honored if you would read it. In fact, if you read one issue a week for an entire year, you would still not be done going through everything on the site. So ultimateachieversmagazine.com is where you can go to check that out. Our most recent issue came out about a week ago. So look forward to having you check it out. So Vaughn, let's talk about placemaking. I know this is part of your work, but prior to uh, looking up what you do, I wasn't really sure what that meant. So tell us what that means in your work. Yeah, for me, placemaking, it goes back to, you know, this idea of how cities, the power of place is something that we talk about all the time. Uh, people's memories, live, lived experiences, our realities, um, and some of my work with foundations in philanthropy and equity, uh, social justice, racial equity work. Sometimes people call it justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion, so it's Jedi work. Um, I hope that's okay with Spielberg, Uh, but that's that's kind of the field these days. And we talk about the power of place and we want to make places for people uh, that are comfortable, that are human centered, um, that feel right. When you walk down the street, is, is the street traffic slow enough that you don't feel like you're like walking next to a highway? Right. So you feel comfortable. My parents are visiting. Uh, they live out of the country and they're visiting now, of course, with the holidays. And they said they were walking down Peachtree Street. My father said it's like a highway, you know, uh, in this part of Buckhead that they're staying in. And it's, it's pretty. Right. They've got a nice median in the middle of the road and it's planting, things like that. But the sidewalk width, because it's, you know, it's built 40, 50 years ago, uh, is not that wide. Mm. So just cars zooming by, plus it's not a lot of pedestrians walking on the street, not like 7th Avenue in you know, New York, where mm-hmm. it's just a mass of people and fewer cars and more people in cars, right? So yeah. it's, you know, how do you make places that are comfortable for people? Right. Part of the placemaking, yeah. That's fantastic. So you you build spaces that are not only useful, but aesthetically pleasing and representing the culture of that community, right? 
Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. So one of the things we always talk about is culture codes. Mm -hmm. Like when you mentioned where you are, how I would design, and I actually did do a competition design, and Iowa was one of the one of the sites that was given in the design. It was uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico, mm -hmm. I Iowa, and I want to say Indiana. And I was in grad school in Chicago. Mm. Every place has context. Yeah. So as an architect, you know what looks great or would be acceptable in Manhattan would not be ideal in another city. Mm -hmm. Right. So we have to think about the culture of the people, scale, um, other aspects beyond zoning, because zoning kind of sets that um, some scaling and height thing, restrictions, things like that. But it is beneficial because cities that don't have zoning. It's actually harder to design. Oh, really? Yes, because you have parameters, and that's where the creativity comes in. Just uh -huh. imagine having just a blank canvas with no restrictions on anything. Mm -hmm. what, is, what does that become? Art. Yeah. Right? Nothing wrong with art. Right. But when it's architecture, it's restrictions. You have to provide for so much uh, sunlight, height restrictions, floor area ratio, FAR. Right. Uh, and all of those things come into play and it shapes the building. Right. Mm -hmm. Or it shapes the environment, uh, which is huge. Uh, so that's that's where the creativity comes in, because you just can't do anything uh, in the process. So. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. wonderful. So urban design is very interactive. So you have to spend a lot of time talking to people in the community to collaborate on what that space going to end up looking like. Right. Yep. You have community meetings. Uh, and every city's different. So here in Atlanta, we have what they call a neighborhood planning unit mm. model. And my former uh, colleague, and even though he and I got into a challenge, he was a former planning commissioner for the city of Atlanta. Love him to death. Um, he would have been 95 last week. Um, he started that NPU process back in the early 70s under Maynard Jackson. And mm. a lot of developers did not like that process because mm. if any public money was going into a project and a project needed to change the zoning, developers would have to go before the community and justify why they were trying to do what they wanted to do in those neighborhoods and communities. Mm. And yeah, it created a lot of challenges. For some people, it still does, half mm. a century later, right? I went through it uh, over the last few months with uh, doing a project in Vine City, which is a neighborhood, even though it's called Vine City, it's a neighborhood. Um, south of I-20 here in Atlanta uh, on the uh, west west side. And we had to go before the NPU, 16 units of housing, uh, multifamily, and, you know, it's a mix. You have, you have people who want it. You have other people who don't want it. So part of the thing is you meet with your client, have your client meet with the community beforehand so they're not surprised. You know, it's like anything else, right? You don't surprise your boss. <laughs> you don't surprise your parents. You don't surprise, you know, you have a conversation in advance just to let them know what's coming, let them, you know, contribute to the process, then they become your advocate. Yeah, for sure. So part of your work really does involve helping people's dream come true, right? Oh, yeah. So, you know, taking people, people have great ideas about what they want and mm -hmm. just being able to listen, take what's out of their heads and our minds just start working. We see it as they're talking. And typically what we do is try to provide three schemes for a design. 
Mm -hmm. right? uh, so a client has something to choose from. Now, that's a little different with urban design, and urban planning. You know, a street is a street. Yeah. You know, park, you know, a vacant lot's a vacant lot. Uh, you can do some things, but when it comes to an individual building or some passion that somebody has, you want to try to give them, you know, a scheme A, B, and C, you mm -hmm. know, if the budget allows for at least two, but three is ideal. And yeah, it gives them something to weigh against. You let them sleep on it, which is huge. You know, yeah. they may love it in the moment, in the moment, but then they, the next day it's like, well, we slept on it. <laughs> and, you know, can we, can we do a and C, a bit of both, and you know, so it's this whole creative process. But yeah, it's it's dream making. Fantastic. So your philosophy of urban planning encompasses innovation and sustainability. Tell us about that. Yeah. So this has come up obviously post Katrina. I saw a lot of um, obviously. I saw the, even I came in eighteen months later yeah. to do the work, which is still you know people were telling me about the water line at the highway and the sound and I could see it coming from the airport. And when I went to the city, it was my first time working in city government. And I would, you know, go into my office and people from code enforcement who had also been displaced from their homes would sit down and talk to me for hours because they had the job of getting other residents back into their homes. So they were still dealing with their own trauma and trying to help other fellow New Orleanians get back into their homes. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that was a big issue uh, for us is the listening part of it to help help everybody get to the work. And I, yeah, I couldn't cut them short. You know, yeah. I, sometimes I'd lose a whole business day because it'd be one person after another who would just want to sit down and talk for two hours. Um, so, you know, and I think that's part of this process as well. You have to people want to be heard. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And part of what we've done in this space, and this is why I go, you know, to the narrative storytelling, is power of place, cultural codes, you know, listening is is huge. Um, mm -hmm. So I come back to that. But yeah, you can you can yeah rope and that. And I would think that part of what you do is keep things as green as possible, energy efficient, uh, to to make it utilitarian too, right? Yeah, so what's come up recently, you know, there's UN sustainability goals, uh, mm -hmm. 17 UN sustainability goals. Uh, I got a call from NASA. Uh, we had done some work through another colleague out of Virginia, uh, two years running. Uh, we had our own work in the early 2017 and 18. Got a call from a colleague. It was his work with NASA headquarters, the tech transfer office. They called us in the beginning of the spring and said, you know, we've been looking at the UN sustainability goals and tech transfer. And that was a real hook for me, mm -hmm. given what I saw in, you know, where I was going with New Orleans was flooding, obviously, um, and the devastation and looking at those sustainability goals, how important that was. And I said, okay, yes, let's do tech transfer, looking at those 17 goals. Not all of them have solutions with, you know, you can't. So zero poverty, <laughs> there's no technology for that. Be great right. if it were, but mm -hmm. there isn't. However, there are through lines with technology. So we focused on five of them and climate impact, energy efficiency were two of the five and coming up with ideas on how to make that possible for entrepreneurs yeah. uh, is something that we focused on. So for me, yes, from a design passion point, my previous work in the early aughts, 
post-Katrina to present day. This just happened this year. So we had an event in September and October, one here yeah. in Atlanta, one in New Orleans. Yeah, we've got less than three minutes until our break. Uh, does funding become an issue? Do these communities usually get grants or are they government funded or do they have to come out of pocket? How, how does the money happen for a project like this? Yeah, these are challenging times. The United States is beneficial because uh, it's a huge philanthropic um, um, industry uh, here in the United States, less so in other countries. Mm -hmm. uh, so foundations and philanthropy is huge. Corporations like that piece I did in my first project with Na then Nations Bank put up the money with the C with the community development corporation they call CDCs sometimes um, put up the money. Uh, grants is part of the government. Yes, for sure. But those can be challenging because they tend to be long lead times. And unless it's a disaster, right, then there's, you know, resources pumped in. But these these are long term projects. And I'll say this. We had a we had a we had funding from the Ford Foundation in the early 2000s to do mixed in, mixed income communities for the Atlanta Neighborhood Development Partnership. And Atlanta needed 400,000 units of quote unquote affordable housing that people could afford, making $43,000 a year. That was like the average income. Mm. And when we did the math, there were only 5,000 permits for housing that would fit that per year. You do the math on that, it was like, okay, it will take 80 years to build that, mm. right? And this is not something that can be done in one person's lifetime. Foundations right. typically, right. typically only fund three year in three year cycles. Oh, okay. Right. So that's always a challenge that comes sure. into this process. Funding is always a challenge. Absolutely. We're coming up against our final break. I can't believe how quickly this is going. We're talking with Evan McCosey and we're talking about community development urban planning. And I can't wait to talk about what we're doing next. I do absolutely want to ask how NASA technologies can get licensed. We'll talk about uh, maybe one of his favorite transformation stories and all, all the things after we come back. This is Success Profiles Radio. We'll be right back. is to motivate and inspire others to discover their unique talents and follow their dreams in life. This is Success Profiles Radio. If you are in business, what is the number one thing that stops revenue growth? Not having enough leads. Data is the new gold rush. With phone sites, that is never an issue. You can generate as many leads as you want without paying a lead broker. With phone sites, you can build a website or sales funnel from your mobile device in five minutes or less without any technical skills or without downloading an app. It's easy and you have nothing to lose. Try it for free for 14 days at phonesites.com forward slash Brian. Once again, that's phonesites.com forward slash Brian. Welcome back to Success Profiles Radio. So many people live their lives wanting more than they currently have. And this show will clearly demonstrate the principles, if I can do it, you can do it. So let's get back to the show. This is Success Profiles Radio. And here again is your host, Brian K. Wright. 
we're back. This is Success Profiles Radio. If you've not downloaded and subscribed to Success Profiles Radio on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, please do that. You can also hear it on Spotify. You can even ask your Google device, Alexa or Siri, play Success Profiles Radio and you will hear the most recent episode. So please listen, continue to listen, subscribe. That would be fantastic. So Vaughn, let me ask you, uh, when you work in communities that experienced a disaster like Katrina, how does that impact what you're doing? Yeah, so one, it's it's understanding and, you know, empathy is huge uh, in yeah. this space because I can only imagine, you know, having your home wiped out um, mm-hmm. or coming back, you know, if you're fortunate enough to leave, be able yeah. to evacuate and then come back and everything. You, there's a vacant lot yeah, where your house is. And the only reason you know your house is there because the street pattern has remained. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's a big part of what we do. And it's it's core. It's core for me. I do. Some people tell me, especially when I was younger, that I wear my heart on my sleeve. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's, you know, part of what's necessary in the space. So, yeah. Yeah. And I, I imagine the first big question is, do you want to rebuild exactly what you had before or do you want it to look different this time? You know, that's a, yes. A, I'm glad you raised that. Most people want exactly what they had. I bet. Creatures of habit we are. Yes, creatures of habit. And it goes back to what we talked about earlier about the power of place and memories. You know, people want it's comfortable and familiar, right? Yeah. Um, we are tied, we tend to be tied to places, even though, if, even if it's on a subconscious level. And when something that like that, now you do have people said, hey, house is gone. I'll take my insurance money. I'm out. Yeah. Right? But you have other people because they're tied to, it's not the building, Mm -hmm. they're tied to community. They want the people they grew up around, the people who, their neighbors, the church, the grocery store, there's a comfort in that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So I bet out-of-the-box thinking serves you very well in this kind of work, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It it has to. So from an implementation strategy, like I had mentioned, you know, when I first got to New Orleans, it was a colleague of mine. He runs a different foundation now in North Carolina, but he was the one who told me over lunch. He said, and we hadn't really met beforehand other than our lunch. And he said, you have the ability to see around corners. Mm-hmm. And that stuck with me because, again, like you and I talked about earlier, uh, sometimes living in the future can be a problem. Yeah. But uh, it comes in handy when you're talking to clients when they want you to be a problem solver. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. I would love to ask you about licensing NASA's technology. How does that happen? How do you do that? Yeah, so NASA, any anybody in the United States who's a citizen um, can license NASA technology. Uh, There's a website. So it's T2X. Uh, You can go to Atlas. You can do, you know, NASA Atlas. And there's a whole patent portfolio that people can go in and want to license technology. And you could be a startup, you could be an you know, uh, existing company, and the licenses aren't necessarily that expensive. They can be free for new and upcoming entrepreneurs, like going through the program that we did, or it can be you know, $2,500 mm. for, like, for a, a license. That's not an exclusive license, but that's a license. Now, you can get exclusive license, but it would be more expensive, and it's a more rigorous yeah. Um, appro- approval process for an exclusive license, but you know this is United States, you know, taxpayer money. So these these uh, inventions are uh, made available to the public. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you have you done this? 
Yeah, yeah. So we have a couple of licenses with NASA. We've got one around uh, data, data analysis. So it it's a data algorithm that crunches petabytes of data. And my understanding is it was also licensed by, you know, early on when you hear about NASA, I'm sorry, uh, Wall Street, high speed trading. A lot of that was NASA technology, right? Mm. That where a regular computer would take a month to crunch data, this does it in seconds, right? So, uh, but people don't know that the quote unquote NASA inside, <laughs> uh, there's a lot of technologies, our cell phones um, on, uh, they get a cut from Apple, Android, and all these companies um, mm -hmm. that that they created those lenses for satellites. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and some, I think it was Nokia said, well, we'd like to put those in cell phones. And they're mm -hmm. like, why would anybody want a camera in a cell phone? Yeah, <laughs> and, and look at know, it we, now. Yeah. Yeah, look, yeah, look at it now. So there's a lot of in interesting technologies uh, in there. So we used it recently for, like I said, with the uh, in combination with the UN Sustainability Goals, Zero Hunger, Clean Energy and Affordable Energy, Clean Water, Sanitation, mm -hmm. Climate Impact and Health and Well-Being. You know, okay. we just narrowed them down to five where we knew there would be NASA technology available. Fantastic. We we only have a few minutes left. Give us your your favorite transformation story from the work you've done. Um, I would say, you know, it's one of those things. It's ongoing. So when I was doing the work, uh, the Kellogg Foundation created uh, Dr. Again, uh, African American woman, Dr. Gail Christopher. Mm -hmm. created 2008 2009 which he called america healing and the goal was to eradicate racism in the united states and mm. i said okay that'll take a century which is fine you know sure. you got to start somewhere right right and um i was asked to facilitate a couple of healing circles in Asheville, north carolina and you know a table of a circle of 20 30 people who were talking about their lived experiences. And again, back to the power of place and people from all over the country of all races, backgrounds. And some people started crying in that circle. Mm. And I said, wow. So there has to be a, a platform back then. You know, is there an app for that? Is there a platform that can capture the power of place in our stories? Mm. And make a long story short, there wasn't that had mapping, again, me being the architect urban designer does maps, captures stories, captures audio, video, et cetera. And I basically created that platform and been working on it for the last seven years. Uh, so it's my reality. You spelt very differently. Uh, so we could trademark it. And uh, we're about 600,000 in. I've got 60 investors. And, you know, it's live and been free on Android and uh, iOS all that time, we've got a business licensing, like I, you know, I'd mentioned during the break. I have to walk a colleague in Arizona through it, and uh, on how to capture stories. I think storytelling and our narratives are key to understanding more than qual quantitative data. Okay, I can certainly understand and appreciate that. Uh, what are some of the top core values you run your business by? Listening, understanding, um, empathy equity, uh, and a chance to serve. You know, my core my core value, I went through a program in uh, Cape Town, South Africa, and Duke University here around being a servant leader. And it was based on Nelson Mandela's principles, and I did that 05, 06. 
and I carry that with me through my work. Fantastic. What has surprised you the most about your journey? Time. You know, I, you couldn't have told me when I was 28 that I would look up one day and be 60. And um, the work continues. And it's a beautiful thing. You know, people talk about retirement. Like I said, at the top of our conversation, architects, we don't retire, we just die. So, you know, if I'm anything like my old man, I've got a good at least 20 more years in front of me. And um, I'm still building, still creating. And I think that's huge for a for a um, entrepreneur. Right. Awesome. And as we wrap up, the question I like to ask everyone who inspires and motivates you. Dad um, is my inspiration, my father, um, John uh, Rivers. And um, yeah, yeah, you know, don't appreciate it much as a kid. But as you grow older and become a man and have your own family, uh, you appreciate every the sacrifices both my parents made, you know, my mom as well. But um, yeah, the old man is, uh, yeah, he's my inspiration. Fantastic. And how can we find you? How can we learn more about what you do? Uh, the easiest way to find me is my personal website, which will mm -hmm. take you to all my other companies. So that's uh, www.vonvon.studio. That'll take you everywhere. My writings, my podcast, my journals, my everything that I do. Fantastic, Vaughn. Thank you so much for being here. It was a pleasure and a privilege to have you here with us today. All right. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate it. And thanks well. to all of you for listening. This has been Success Profiles Radio. Uh, tune in every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern where we learn about the fantastic journey of our guests, what they overcame, what they learned along the way, and the lessons we can pull from their journeys. We'll be back next week. Take care, everyone. Have a great day. Thank you for being a part of Success Profiles Radio with your host, Brian K. Wright. Each week, we'll explore different aspects of success and how to apply them to your life. We'll have guests that will come from many different backgrounds, including expertise in leadership, business, relationships, careers, networking, health, overcoming adversity, and much more. For more on Brian and the show, check out his website, briankwright.com. If you've ever wondered if there's more to life than you're currently living, then Success Profiles Radio is the program for you. Join us again next week for more Success Profiles Radio with your host, Brian K. Wright.